Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 152 for the 19th of June, 2014. I'm Chester Wisniewski with Paul Ducklin again. Welcome, Paul. Hello, Chester. So the good news and the bad news, Paul. The, the good news is we haven't discussed a data breach in a short bit. Um, the bad news is we have data breaches to discuss. I shouldn't laugh. P.F. Chang's and P.F. Chang's, for those of you that may not uh, be familiar with it, is an American franchise of Chinese restaurants uh, that is international. It's have got some locations in Latin America as well as the Middle East. They have seemingly suffered a credit card breach, but it sounds like they're not quite sure where. For the first time in a long time that I've heard of, uh, apparently they've fallen back to actually doing imprints of credit cards, sort of the old carbon roller thing where you know you put the card in the plastic holder and run the wheel over it to make an impression on a piece of paper and and i guess phone in for the the uh, authorization code i guess i'm a little confused about it i guess that's a good thing or a bad thing i mean i I hate the idea of carbon paper with my credit card number on it again i thought we left that behind in the 1980s yes i'm surprised to hear that the uh companies that process the transactions will even accept those in the united states I think the last time I experienced one of those was years ago, visiting you in Vancouver on the way to the airport. And I said, you can't do that. They won't accept those anymore because in Oz, they hadn't accepted them for some years. And he said, oh, no, it's fine. It's fine if I can't get online. I was terribly worried about being carded. As you say, there's there's two copies of your card, all the details neatly printed out. Um, But this is, yeah, the P.F. Chang's issue is very mystifying. You know, we we heard last year, of course, breaches like Target, where somebody outside said, you know, we're seeing an awful lot of fraud on against your stores, particularly does seem to be a common factor. And they thought, well, we better take a look then. And when they did, oh, dear, we've got malware on every single cash register throughout the United States. You know, once they knew what to look for, it sort of stood out like a sore thumb, as I imagine. Uh, With P.F. Chang's, it seems they've as good as admitted there's a breach but they're still running around trying to find it. It is mystifying and worrying in equal measure, isn't it? Yeah, I have to give them some credit, though. I mean, as much as I don't like the making an imprint of my card, it's the devil you know versus the one you don't, right? Like, if all the banks and others are suggesting that you're the source of the leak, they've done the right thing by, you know what, turn off the system. Just stop allowing the cards to be stolen. Don't continue to process cards for a month while you try to figure it out and potentially put more people's payment information in jeopardy, um, you're better off, you know, taking the risk of some carbon paper issues. Uh, You know, I guess they've done right there. And I guess, uh, you know, the real question is, will shutting down the card processing actually make this harder? Like, is it possible that the criminals went, oh, crap, like, you know, they've detected that we were doing something and, you know, they pushed the emergency eject button and removed the malware from all the machines and maybe they won't ever find any evidence of it. You'd have to imagine that there would, once you go looking far enough, there will be plenty of forensic evidence. There must be a backup somewhere that has the malware in it, if there was malware. You know, you think they will get to the bottom of it. But I wouldn't, I'm glad I'm not the guy doing the looking. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. And I I think if I were the the CSO at P.F. Chang's right now, I might be posting some physical security guards outside the dumpsters. Wouldn't it be funny if the crooks came back and started retrieving the carbons? Well, the silver lining to that is that they would have to enter U.S. jurisdiction to do it. So they would actually increase their chance of being nabbed, I suppose. It seems to me as though the problem that P.F. Chang's has, it's not like looking for a needle in a haystack. 
It's sort of like looking for a needle in a giant pile of needles, which is altogether a harder prospect. Yeah, yeah. One, one story, strangely, that seems to be not going away, or at least the controversy continues, is TrueCrypt. Oh, indeed. Boy, have we got some interesting comments on naked security. Yeah, from what I see, there seems to be uh, four camps of people out there, and it's the fourth one that's puzzling me the most. There's, there's the folks that just never trusted it to begin with because, you know, it had a weird origin story and we weren't quite sure who was behind it and how do you trust crypto that, you know, hasn't really been looked at. Then there was this group that had been using it and didn't really know about any of that, didn't, under, didn't realize perhaps that it wasn't certified to meet regulatory requirements. It hadn't really been audited. Like they just didn't know. They knew that it had a good reputation in the free community and were using a free product and are now questioning that after this has made so much news. There are some folks that simply don't care. They don't want to spend any money on crypto products and for what they use it for, they're just like, hey, you know, I don't really care. I just need something to encrypt some files occasionally and I'm going to keep using it because, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not protecting state secrets. But it's the fourth group who seem to think that it's not a problem at all as well. Um, I wrote a, a, an article for Naked Security where I kind of felt that it was sort of like the parrot sketch from Monty Python, that TrueCrypt's not dead yet, it's doing just fine, even though it's well and truly done in. Probably just shagged out after a long squawk. You know, oh gosh, it's all gone pear-shaped, therefore that proves that it's gone so pear-shaped, actually must be okay. It seems to me to be similar to the argument that if you just heard about a certain model of aircraft falling out of the sky, that clearly that's now the safest one to fly in because it's got all the scrutiny on it or something. I, there's a lot of bizarre reactions people have in these situations. And of course, you and I are always questioned about this because we have products that we sell in this space. And while I would love people to buy our products, and if they're interested, that's great. You and I are genuinely sharing our personal opinions on this as security experts, not as necessarily employees of Sophos. We mean this from our experience. Absolutely. I mean, one guy, Chester, on Naked Security said, what on earth is it that gives you the impression that the developers suddenly think it's insecure? And my answer had to be the fact that if you go to their website, it says, don't use this product, it is insecure. <laughs> that to me was the hint. And I don't know why, for a product that was always been anonymously created and where you don't know who the guys are, and they're doing it the way they want to on their terms, why anyone should be so aghast at the idea that they would go, you know what, we're going to go home and take our ball with us. It's their ball. They can take it wherever they want. So you don't think it was NSA ninjas who came in in the middle of the night took them on some kind of secret airplane to an undisclosed location, got their private encryption keys to sign the new binary that's read-only. You know what, Chester, if they did, then it's definitely insecure. Well, <laughs> another story I wanted to get in this week that I thought was a little irritating and maybe misreported, but there, there was a cross-site scripting vulnerability or XSS flaw in TweetDeck, the a very popular Twitter client that actually is owned by Twitter. They purchased it, I think, a couple years back. And uh, this bug was discovered by a, a guy whose Twitter handle, at Firo, um, was just looking for a way to print a Unicode character that, that represented a, a heart in, in a tweet. And while doing that, discovered this, this cross-site scripting flaw. Now, I want to be clear that he disclosed it to Twitter directly and said, hey, I found this thing uh, and didn't necessarily do anything harmful with it himself. 
but within a few hours it had turned into a worm and was spreading itself by by using JavaScript to retweet itself uh, for anybody that was using TweetDeck. So it spread very quickly because TweetDeck is quite popular, especially among uh, heavy Twitter users. So a lot of these people writing blog articles about it, in particular, I'm not going to mention any names, but there's several journalists I was quite agitated with going, oh, it's a, it's a harmless prank. Um, you know, all it did was cause a pop-up and spread the message to everyone else. What's, you know, what's the big deal? This wasn't a hack. This wasn't this. This wasn't that. The big deal is the Computer Fraud and Misuse Act, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it. it well, you know, there, there's a lot of other debates around the Computer Fraud and Misuse Act or, or the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act in the U.S. and some of the other ones and whether they're a little too broad in their definition of what uh, is really criminal. But but nonetheless, um, it's using someone else's computing resources without their permission is always wrong. Those acts have said the old school regular trespass where you take a shortcut across somebody's garden is not a criminal offense. It's dealt with as a civil matter. That doesn't cut it when it comes to just wandering through somebody else's computer, because there's far too much that you are likely to see even if you try not to. And once you've seen it, once you've gone digging, once you've looked in the password file, once you've seen somebody else's email, you can't unsee it. So I agree with your assessment as you wrote on Naked Security. Creating a worm can never be a good thing and it can never, in my opinion, even be a neutral thing. You don't have permission. You don't have authorization. You cannot predict what might happen when you let the thing go you can't give support to all the people who didn't intend to run it in the first place. And you've only got to look at how big things like the Internet Worm, Code Red, SQL Slammer, which you could say were just harmless pranks because they only spread. Look at the collective damage that those things did if you liked the fabric of the Internet just on traffic alone. It's not acceptable, never will be, and it shouldn't be. So please don't do it. Yeah, and if you're a blogger or someone who uh, has a bit of an audience, and, and especially for the technical people that we know that often influence a lot of other people, uh, in particular uh, adolescents who are getting into the, you know interest in security and getting into computer technology and things, don't make excuses for this stuff and make it sound like it's okay and it's a harmless prank because that just encourages others to continue to do it. Um, I think a lot of our listeners actually are in positions of influence in the community, which is one of the reasons we love sharing our knowledge on security with them so they can hopefully make people's lives safer. And as part of that, I'm hoping that we can also give the right message to folks who uh, look up to the more technical among them, which uh, are a lot of chat chat listeners. Yes, I, I, I may have come across a little strongly just now. You know, when I read your story about this Twitter worm, I was mildly amused and I thought, oops, that's the sort of bug you do not want to have in an application like TweetDeck, given the way it's used. But it doesn't mean that I can condone it. Right. There's just too much that can go wrong when you start messing around with other people's computers. And you wouldn't like it if somebody did it to you. So why would you consider doing it to someone else and then saying, why are you complaining? Which kind of leads well into the last story I wanted to talk about, which is National Consumer Fraud Week in, in Australia. I saw that you wrote up for Naked Security, and there was some interesting bits in there that, that you cited from the official website, scamwatch.gov.au. Uh, in particular, the kind of reporting on scams and dollar values associated with you know, what impact they have on Australians. 
uh, and and some of the tips they provided. Um, in particular, the, the the reported scams surprised me in that um, you, you know you total you totaled up the top ten and said it was you know about seventy million Australian dollars, but there's only twenty five million Australians, right? So I mean. Even at a couple dollars per person, that's pretty ridiculous. And we know, of course, that um, obviously not everyone in Australia was scammed. So what, what kind of this is the scale and where is the most fraud happening? I kind of imagine naively, perhaps, that obviously when you're talking about online scamming, the big ones are going to be things like phishing, hacking, dodgy online merchants, that sort of stuff. The stuff that you imagine is a cybercrime that begins and ends with the computer where the crooks don't have any personal contact with you. But in fact, although those losses were significant, some $10 million a year that are known attributed to those in Australia alone, there was 50 million bucks a year that was basically fleeing the country in the form of cash due to the more one-on-one, -on -one, the, the what you might call face-to-face -face without ever meeting the person crimes. So that's advanced fee fraud or upfront payment fraud and sadly, dating and romance scams, uh, the stuff that actually a lot of people tend to laugh at because they go, oh, how could you possibly fall for that? Well, those people didn't want to fall for it. They're the victim. And stop saying it's their own fault. It isn't. It's the fault of the crooks who actually go out of their way to identify those people and then milk them for a lot of money. Yeah, and they, they've posted some good tips on their site. They've got five tips that you cite here in your Naked Security article around making sure that, you know, uh, you've, you've met the person or you actually know them, that they're not just some anonymous internet stranger, um, you know, checking that the profile details they're using aren't just cribbed off of somebody else's Facebook account or something where they often will copy people's bios or profile photos from, say, LinkedIn or Facebook and this kind of thing and use it to impersonate them. They, they always want to talk with you in private is another kind of, you know, tip off that something's probably not right if they're not willing to discuss it in front of other people, that, that it's, it's likely something uh, fishy may be going on. And of course, anytime anybody is, is asking for, for money, it should raise, should raise some suspicion. And also look at those numbers and remind yourself that if you've ever thought, surely these advanced fee fraudsters and romance scammers they can't be making that much money. So surely this will all wither on the vine and they'll go away. Actually, they're making the lion's share of the money in scams against Australians. Not that crooks are doing things like phishing and dodgy online selling aren't making loads of money as well. What I really like about this is the very, very straightforward way they've decided to put the advice. They've just said flat and outright, if you meet someone online and they ask you for money, big or small, you are dealing with a scammer. It is as easy as that. That's a great tip to wrap up and end this chat chat number 152. As always, for the latest security news, visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. Our podcasts are available via RSS. They're on iTunes. They're over at soundcloud.com slash sophosecurity. And we're also available on TuneIn now. If you have the TuneIn app on iOS or Android, or if you use their service on the web, you can get the chat chat there. And until next time, stay secure.